Matthew chapter 2, starting verse 1. God's word says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, if you just skip over to Matthew chapter 24 very quickly, I want to read a few verses there. These are the words of Jesus. And he says, Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much that you have came and that we have hope that you will come again. And Lord, I thank you that we can look to your word to prepare our hearts for your return. Use me this morning to communicate the truth that you didn't just come, but you will come and establish your kingdom eternally on earth and that we can be a part of that kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. On this Christmas Sunday, in our, in our worship this morning, in our candlelight service tonight, the focus is very simple. It's, it's the story that even if you've, people who've never gone to church, they know something about the story of the birth of Jesus Christ. We are celebrating what, who Isaiah called Emmanuel, which means God with us. We are celebrating what in John chapter 1 says, that God became flesh and that he dwelt among us, that he showed us his glory. We are celebrating this Christmas the wise men who came and brought gifts before the newborn king. We're celebrating this Christmas the announcement of angels to shepherds that the Savior of the world had been born to bring peace to the earth. We're celebrating, like in Luke, we just read in Luke chapter 2, the humble birth of a royal divine king who was born of, of a virgin, laid in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes by his, mother, by his mother Mary. This Christmas, we are celebrating the first Christmas. And I love the story of the first Christmas. I mean, who doesn't love the story of Jesus in the manger and the shepherds? And, and who doesn't love the cute nativity scenes with the little kid dressed up like a sheep, you know, and all the cute things that go along with it? Everybody loves that. Even people who don't believe in God, who don't go to church, they sing songs every Christmas about Jesus and about God becoming a man. Because the first Christmas is a time tested, age-old story that tugs at the heart of every human being. And we love to celebrate Christmas. I love to celebrate Christmas. But celebrating Christmas isn't really about the first Christmas. Yes, that's the story that gets the attention. And yes, that's what the church cantatas are all about. And that's what the songs are singing about. And it's a true story. But Christmas Old English word was Christmas, and it comes from the Latin Christus Masi, which means 
the arrival of Christ. And the day that we celebrate when Jesus first arrived on earth, that's what Christmas means, that he has come to redeem and rescue creation from sin, from sickness and suffering. But the holiday, the the holy day of Christmas, which began to be celebrated as a regular feast in the Christian calendar around the year 390 A.D., they initially began to celebrate this holy feast day, not because they just liked the cute story about what happened in the past, but because they knew that Jesus had come once, but they had a hope that Jesus would come again. The holiday, the holy day, is not really about the first Christmas. Whether you realize it or not, this holiday that we celebrate this week is more about the second Christmas than the first Christmas. The second Christmas, that wasn't Jesus' first birthday. That wasn't the second Christmas. The second Christmas hasn't happened yet. The second Christmas is that day in the future when Jesus Christ will return to his creation. That's what Christmas means. Christ has arrived. The second Christmas then is not when he was born, not his first birthday, but the second time that Christ will arrive. And this time he will come to completely establish his kingdom on earth and to judge the living and the dead. This is believers fellowship. That means we are believers and we believe the Bible and we believe in the second imminent second coming and return of the Lord Jesus Christ. The New Testament is adamant and clear that Christ has come once. He was born in a manger. He was born of a virgin. He was worshipped by shepherds and wealthy magi. And this New Testament is also adamant and clear that one day Christ will come again. He will come to establish his eternal reign on earth, to bring to accountability the powers of sin and evil in this world, to eternally dispel death, disease, and discomfort, to expel sin and suffering, to eradicate the devil and his demons, to establish peace on earth. There are two Christmases. One already happened. This week we celebrate the reality that the second will come to pass. We prophetically proclaim that he didn't just come one Christmas, but at the second Christmas, a second arrival, a second coming of Christ will occur in the near future. Because we believe the scriptures. We believe that Jesus is the fulfillment of scripture. That's what we've been talking about all month long. And that the scriptures say there is one promise that Jesus has yet to fulfill. And that is the promise of totally reclaiming, redeeming, and restoring his creation. And for just a few moments, I want to look at the second and first Christmases side by side and compare and contrast the two Christmases. And like the ghost of Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol, we're going to look at Christmas past and we're going to look at Christmas future and we're going to see what that means for Christmas present. The first thing that I notice when comparing the first Christmas and the second Christmas is this. The first Christmas was quiet and subtle. If you read in the scripture, we read it in Luke chapter 2, verse 7. The Bible says that Mary, she gave birth to her firstborn son, and all she had was just scraps of cloth 
to wrap him in, and she laid him in a manger because she had nowhere to put him because there was no room for them in the inn. I want to dispel some myths. You know, we, we look at the, even our picture up here, our background, it looks like a barn. It probably wasn't a barn. Back then, they didn't have barns like we have today. When it says that he was in a manger with the livestock, what probably was going on was either there was just an area out back behind this hut that people were living in. It wasn't a hotel. It was someone's house that let out a room or a bed for travelers to go by. But more than likely, actually, Jesus was probably born in a cave where they would hollow out the cave to, to house the livestock at night, and they would have just a a makeshift fence to keep that livestock there for the evening to to be safe and and to find warmth in a cold night. And Mary and Joseph probably, because there was no room in the house, they probably said, hey, I don't have any room in the house, but you can sleep with the animals out back. There's a cave out there. It's wet and cold, but at least it's something. Jesus was born in this quiet night. No one else around him. The shepherds didn't show up till later. Some people say the Magi didn't come for two years. So this was, they were just all alone, this quiet, subtle night where just this teenage girl and her husband, they didn't have any money, they didn't have anywhere to go. It's a quiet and subtle night of just spent just the three of them together. There's nothing exciting about it except maybe just what childbirth is in general, but it was quiet and it was subtle. There were, they didn't hear angels that night. They didn't have this amazing experience that night. It was just them in a cave, cold, dark, and quiet. Most of the world didn't know what was going on. The first Christmas was quiet and subtle, but the second Christmas will be loud and obvious. 1 Thessalonians 4, this is Paul writing. He says, one day for the Lord himself will descend with a shout with the voice of an archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. This isn't a dark day. And this isn't a quiet day. The Bible says that one of these days, come on, one of these days, He's going to split that eastern sky wide open. And he, the archangel will shout and blow that trumpet, and every human being on earth will hear Christ's return. It will be obvious. It will be loud. It will be cataclysmic. It will be exciting. Everyone will know what's going on. No one will wonder what exactly is happening. They will all see Jesus. In fact, when Jesus ascended into heaven after his resurrection, the disciples, they're sitting there looking at the clouds, wondering where he went. And what did the angels say? They said, why are you looking for Jesus. For when he returns, he will come the exact same way that he left. Just look to the sky. And one of these days, the trumpet's going to sound. One of these days, that God's going to look over at Jesus, and the Father's going to look over at the Son and say, it's time. And Jesus is going to step out on a cloud with a shout, and the trumpet's going to blow. And every single person on earth will know exactly what's going on. And then even it says that the graves will begin to open up, and dead bodies will begin to rise. Everybody's going to know what's happening at that point. And it's going to be an exciting day. And it's going to be a bright day. And it's not going to be dark and dreary. And there's nothing subtle about it. And there's nothing quiet about it. The second Christmas will be loud and obvious. The Lord himself shall descend with a shout, the voice of the archangel, and the sound 
of the trumpet of God and the dead. I'm looking forward to that day. I'm looking forward to that day when we begin to see that these graveyards that are up and down this highway are emptied out and, and saints of old that have died before us and gone before us faithful go to meet with the Lord in the air, and they're going to have a new body. You're not going to see zombies. There's not any of this walking dead kind of stuff. A new glorified body. I'm going to have a new body. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's a six-pack in there somewhere, you know. One day he's going to reveal it. It's going to be a glorified body. Are you excited, Katie? I need to shout. Come on now. I'm going to get a new glorified body. The Bible says I'm going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye. Y'all have a handsome pastor, I'm telling you. It's going to be a good day. It's going to be a loud day. It's going to be an obvious day. It's going to be a day to be excited about. How many of you, you grew up, you were terrified when you heard people start talking about Jesus coming back? Listen, if you're in Christ, there is nothing at all to be terrified about. It is an exciting, it's a happy day. It is a day to look forward to. It's a day to say no more bald heads and no more, no more guts, no more, no, you know, it's all going to be right. It's all going to be good. We're going to have a glorified body, and we're going to see those that we said goodbye to long ago that we've been heartbroken over, and it says we're going to meet them in the air, and they're going to have a new body, and it's not going to be tore up by cancer and disease and pain anymore, and we're going to have a new body, and we're going to be with the Lord, and we're to spend eternity with them. That's a happy day. That's an exciting day. First Christmas was quiet and subtle. The second Christmas will be loud and obvious. The sign of the first Christmas was a star. Look at Matthew chapter 2, verse 9. Story of the, the wise men. It says, Behold the star the wise men had seen. When it rose, it went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then they fell, or they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The sign that the first Christmas had come was a star in the sky. Wise men had been searching through ancient prophecies and studying the sky and studying the constellations, and they noticed a new star that had not been there before, and they, they knew that this star meant something, and they began to follow this star to the place where they found Jesus. These weren't Christian men that were looking for stars, all right? You know, it's, we call them magi. The Bible calls them magi. You know what that word is? Magicians. They were occultists. They were they were looking to the stars and constellations and, and, and what do they call those things in the newspaper? Yeah, horoscopes and different things. I, I like totally went blank for a second. They, were looking, they weren't looking for Jesus. They were just looking for something. There's a lot of people out there looking for something, right? And they just said, hey, that's something different, and we think that means something, and they began. See, that should encourage you. As a Christian, you don't have to have it all right because people are looking for something. You just need to be a light. And people, no matter who they are or where they've been, they'll look for the light and they'll go toward a light. The sign of the first Christmas was a star, but the sign of the second Christmas will be slightly different. The Bible says that the sign that the second Christmas is coming is not a star, but that it's a bride. Look at Revelation verse, chapter 19, verses 6 through 8. This is John the Revelator. He's having a vision of heaven, an experience 
where God allows him to see heaven. And he says, I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Notice this. The marriage of the Lamb has come. That's, that's when Christ returns and when he establishes his eternal kingdom. The Bible says there will be this great marriage supper of the Lamb where God and the church come together in unity and that God and Jesus rules over the earth with the church as his vice regents ruling over creation. All right, that's some deep theology, but that's what's going to happen, is that you and I will rule and reign with Christ over the earth. Amen? And it says that's going to happen when the bride has made herself ready. The wedding doesn't happen until the bride is ready. I don't care what time the invitation says it starts. It does not start until the bride is ready. Amen? Now, again, how many of you, you grew up hearing teachings about the second coming and about the end of the world, and you heard all this stuff about you need to look at the signs of the times and, and read the newspapers, hold a newspaper in one hand and a Bible in the other hand, and when things begin to line up, that's the sign. Guess what? You can throw all that stuff out. Uh-oh. <laughs> Don't get mad at me, all right? Listen, I'm not saying that that's, it's bad to look at those things, but that's not the sign. Jesus said very early on, he said it would be a time when there's wars and rumors of wars. There will be famine, disease, earthquakes, all that kind of stuff. Guess what? That stuff's been happening for the last 2,000 years. People have thought every time a new war breaks out, well, Jesus is coming back. Every time something goes wrong, every time they find a red heifer in Israel, Jesus is coming back. Every time, every time something happens and we're looking for these signs and we get so caught up in everything that's going on in the newspaper that we forget what's going on in the kingdom. But Jesus says that the marriage happens when the bride ready. And when is the bride ready? When she's complete. The bride's ready at a wedding when she's fully dressed, when everything has been, been done, her hair is just right, her makeup's just right, the dress is just right. The bride is ready when everything is complete. She's got her something new and something old and something borrowed. and so That's when the wedding's going to happen, right? When, when is the great marriage supper going to happen? When the bride, the church, the body of Christ is complete and ready. And guess what? She's not complete and she's not ready. Why? There's empty chairs in the room. Why? There's still lost people out there. Still, there are still nations of people that have never heard the name of Jesus. In our age of the great technology we have and the ability to communicate across the globe and at nanosecond speed, there are still tribes and groups of people that have not had an adequate witness of the gospel. And the Bible says that Jesus won't come back until the gospel has been proclaimed and preached to every nation and every tongue. How do we, how do we know when, when things are about to wrap up? When the bride has made herself ready, when she's become complete, when all the things have come together, when those lost tribes that, and people that have never heard the name of Jesus, they finally hear who Jesus is. Why do we do missions? Why do we give to people to go across the world when there's lost people right here? Because guess what? The lost people right here have 30 churches down on this highway in this county to go to, but there's nations across the world. They have no witness of the gospel. They know who Coca-Cola is. They know who Ronald McDonald is, but they've never heard the name of Jesus. 
The bride has to get ready. How does the bride get ready? When we, as the church, go out and and bring in the nations and bring in the people and bring in people who say they've never had a witness, they've never had an opportunity. How does the bride get ready? Every week when you give in an offering and you say, I'm supporting a missionary across the globe to share the gospel with someone, that's how the bride gets ready. And every time someone in, in Mogadishu in Africa gets saved, the bride gets a little more makeup on. And every time someone over in South America gets saved, the bride's hair gets fixed a little bit better. And every time someone over in Asia in a house church in China who's never heard the gospel gives their life to Jesus, the bride's dress gets a little bit more fit and ready to go. Every time we win some someone for Jesus. The bride becomes more complete. The bride prepares herself. The bride is ready, and that's when Jesus will come. The sign is, so I, I know there's a lot of books that are sold and people on TV that tell you to watch this and watch that. Let your pastor teach you for just a minute. Don't worry about that stuff. Don't worry about what's happening in Washington. Don't worry what's happening with an with a, uh, uh, embassy in Israel. Don't worry about any of that. Watch the church. Watch the bride. Watch as the bride gets ready. That is the sign. And how do we help it go along? How do we bring this forward? We expand the kingdom. And as we expand the kingdom, the bride is made more and more ready. And Jesus will come back for a bride who is dressed in fine linen, bright and pure. That's the sign of the second Christmas. This is good teaching. I know this isn't your typical Christmas message, but you, you need to hear this. Because what you believe about this determines how you live as a Christian. If you believe it's just about me and I'm going to hold on to the rapture, that's what you'll do. You'll just sit around with your own holy little self, and you won't take anyone to heaven with you, and you'll just hope you get to go when the trumpet blows. That's not how it works. But if you believe that I'm supposed to participate in this thing and making the bride complete, then you will give it an offering. You will go on a mission trip. You will go when Jesus calls you to go across the globe to share the gospel because you know I'm part of a bigger picture, and I'm looking forward to a marriage supper where the complete bride is brought before for her groom, Jesus Christ. This is good. The first Christmas, the sign was a star. The second Christmas, the sign is a bride. The, sec- the first Christmas was initi- initiated Christ's kingdom. Initiated Christ's kingdom. Look at Luke chapter 1. This is the angel speaking to Mary before she gives birth. And he says, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. We sang just a moment ago in that last song about how Jesus was born a child and yet a king. No other king has ever been born king. In order to be king, you have to be born to a father who is king. And you are not king until that father dies. But Jesus is the only king who was ever born as a king. He initiated the kingdom. His entire life's ministry was about preaching about the kingdom. We talked last week about how every miracle he did, every healing he did, was about enacting the kingdom, about the kingdom breaking through into the natural realm, the kingdom breaking through into an earth of sin and sickness. And so it initiated with Christ coming the first time. But the second Christmas is not about the kingdom being initiated. The second Christmas is about the kingdom being established eternally. John in Revelation 21 in his vision of the future, God shows him the new heaven and the new earth. In verse uh, verse 1 of chapter 21, he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. Now, this isn't just any ordinary city. If you read Revelation, it gives you the dimensions of this city. This city is bigger than North America. This is a massive city that comes down out of heaven and is established on earth. And he says, I saw that new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, prepared, look, as a bride adorned for her husband, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with his people. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and he will be their God. And watch this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, and neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain, for the former things have passed away. Hallelujah. No more death. No more pying, no more dying, no more crying, no more pain, no more sickness, none of it. When the new heaven and new earth is established, and it's not just a temporary kingdom, and it's not just a, a kingdom that's gradually growing like it is now, but it will be a kingdom that is forever established. It will be a kingdom where there is no death, there is no dying, there is no pain, there is no sickness, there is no heartbreak. He will wipe away every tear from every eye, and we will spend eternity in perfection with him. That's something to look forward to. It is an eternal, established kingdom when Christ returns. My last comparison here, and I'll wrap up here in just a moment. I'm doing good. The first Christmas was ignored by most. If you read the story of the wise men, if you go back and read in Matthew chapter 2 and 3 about the wise men and they came, it's an interesting story. The wise men had traveled many, many miles to come to Jerusalem. And as they rode in, and people would have realized that these wealthy men, foreign men, dressed differently, looked differently, talked differently, had come into the city. And the Bible says that as they made their way through the city, they kept asking people, where's this new king that's been born? Only problem is there wasn't a new king born, they thought. King Herod was up in his palace next to the Temple Mount, and everyone's like, hey, Herod hasn't had a son. You can't be talking like that. You can't say there's a new king. That, that, those are fighting words. And these wise men, they're traveling through the city, and they're asking, hey, where's this new king been born? And everyone's like, hey, there's no new king. You better stop saying that. That makes people mad when you start talking about it. It's in the Bible. Okay, go read it. And it says when they find King Herod in, in Jerusalem, they say, Where's the new king? And he says, what new king? It's my translation. And they say, we saw his star in the sky, and we followed. We followed to find the birth of this new king. The Bible says something very interesting. When Herod hears this, now this is a direct quote. It says that Herod and all of Jerusalem were greatly troubled. What's that mean? That means that King Herod and everybody in the city knew why those men were there, what they were there to do, and it troubled them. Did you know that Bethlehem is exactly six miles from Jerusalem? We stand right now approximately six miles from Danville Elementary School. That's how far they had to travel after they spoke to King Herod to go and find the baby Jesus. My question is this. If Herod... And all of Jerusalem knew why they were there and what they were going to do. Why didn't anyone go with them? Even just out of curiosity, 
these wealthy men have come into town. They've dressed differently. They talk differently. They obviously are very wealthy. And they have come to worship who they call a newborn king. And it's only six miles away. No one went. You can walk six miles in a few hours. You got a horse, you can get there in less than an hour. No one made the effort. No one said, hey, what's, what's this about? Maybe we should go check out what this is, even out of just curiosity. Herod actually says, hey, you go and find him and then come back and tell me about it. Herod couldn't be bothered. The king, who wouldn't have even had to go himself, someone was going to drive him there, you know, pull him on a chariot or something. Easy trip. No one went. First Christmas was largely ignored by the entire city of Jerusalem, the entire religious establishment of his day. It took some heathen foreigners who didn't know anything about God to come and say, hey, we've come to worship this king. It took poor shepherds that were outcasts of society to say, I'm going to come. And Everyone else ignored the first Christmas. But the second Christmas will be impossible to miss. The truth of this is, is that it is possible right now to go through your life and ignore Christ. Even though he's right here, he's less than six miles away. He's as close as conversation. He is as close as breath. He is as close as you calling on his name. And yet so many people ignore him. But there will be a day when it will be impossible to ignore who he is. When that sky splits and the trumpet sounds, every single person who's ever ignored him will be forced to recognize who he is. And it will be obvious and it will be impossible to miss. Look at Revelation verse 1, chapter 1, verse 7. He says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. All tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen, let it be. The point is, is that you can only go so long in life ignoring Jesus. Because as Paul said in Romans 14, 11, one day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess Jesus as Lord. And there is, you know, I've heard a lot of preachers preach it the hellfire and brimstone way, and you're just so scared to death that you've got to get things right because you're just so terrified of Jesus. I'm not that kind of preacher. I mean, maybe sometimes I am, but not today. Today, it's nothing to be afraid of. It's something to be excited about and look forward to. Because if you are in Christ, there is no condemnation in Christ. There's only life, and there's only resurrection, and there's only stuff to look forward to. And it's not a scary day, and it's not a day to, to be worried about. And, you know, people that are doomsday preppers, I don't, hope you're not one of them. I'm sorry if you are. But all of that kind of, you know, we don't have to do that, okay? Listen, we have something to look forward to and not be afraid of. We have a king who loves us and who has promised to come back for us. Jesus put it this way. He says, I'm going away, but while I'm gone, I've gone to prepare a place for you. And when it is ready, I'll come back and I'll bring you to it. There is a new heaven and a new earth. There are streets of gold. There is a glassy sea. 
There is a river of life. There's a tree of life with healing in its wings. And it is waiting for you and for me to get there and be around it and dance around his throne and celebrate and worship. And there won't be any cancer and there won't be any diabetes and there won't be any arthritis and there won't be any bald heads and there won't be any aching joints. It will all be perfect and will all be right. And that is not something to be afraid of. That is something to be excited about. That's something to get happy about. That's something to shout about. And that's something to prepare for.